The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. October 25 edition. You know, it occurred to me today. We're two months away from Christmas. We're going to soon start seeing... The Christmas decorations everywhere. We're going to start hearing how many shopping days left until Christmas. It's coming. And I feel like the decorations are up sooner each year. Meanwhile, I think i got to go dig out all the Christmas decorations. Like right after Halloween. That's when, that's when we start planning the displays and the, the transformation of your house that just leaves you incredibly depressed when you put all that crap away in January. We've got, hopefully, the opposite of crap for you today. Joey Bosa, the Chargers pass rusher, and A.J. Boye, Jaguars defensive back, who came over via free agency from the Texans. He and they will join us via interview. We'll play them for you later in the session. This is going to be a lot like yesterday with the pair of tight ends, Travis Kelsey and Vernon Davis. I'm going to prattle on for a little bit about whatever's been going on in the NFL today because the PFTPM podcast, in part, is aimed at getting you the latest, getting you up to speed on everything that may have happened since we wrapped PFT Live. It's like the bookend drive time. We do the morning drive on radio, TV, and that also becomes a three-separate-segment podcast. But then the late afternoon, podcast-only wrap of the day, and loading more and more interviews into that so it's not just me. Because God forbid, I mean, I wouldn't want to listen to just me. I, I don't like listening to myself while I speak. Hopefully you'll keep listening before we talk to Joey Bosa. A couple of things happening today. Martavis Bryant, the Steelers receiver who finally has admitted he wants out of Pittsburgh. He will be out of the lineup, reportedly inactive on Sunday, which shows that Coach Mike Tomlin doesn't appreciate this nonsense. And if you're going to complain, he'll give you something to complain about, right? Wasn't that like back in the 70s when it was okay to spank kids? You'd hear the, I'll give you something to cry about. What a different world it was. Not passing judgment. And I doubt that that my parents were all that different from any others back in that time. It was a weird time. But that's what it reminded me of. I'll give you something to complain about. Yep. You're out. Good luck getting targets when you're in street clothes on the sidelines. Good luck with that. And the trade deadline is Tuesday, so it's not like they're going to showcase him. Now, unless they're secretly planning trading him and they want to keep him healthy, I don't think that's it, though. I don't think they're going to trade him. Number one, I don't think anybody wants him. What would you give up to get Martavis Bryant? The Chargers sent Dontrell Inman to the Bears today for a conditional seventh-round draft pick. That's the Ross Tucker trade compensation. That's virtually nothing, a conditional seventh-round pick. The Steelers need him in the event Juju Smith-Schuster gets injured. So they're not inclined to move him, and they said they're not going to move him. The other thing, too, that's going on here, the Steelers are one of those teams that very much likes to control its players, that very much likes to set the agenda with its players. They've got those rules. 
you know, those those rules that aren't really rules, like they won't do extensions during the season. They just won't. Why? Well, that's because we won't. And they won't do guaranteed money in a contract beyond the first year. Well, why? Well, we just won't. And and the players just say, okay. I mean, one of the benefits of being such a revered franchise, such an important brand, is that you can do things with your players that other teams can't, and they just do it. Remember the pressure they were putting on Le'Veon Bell to sign his franchise tender? He had every right to not do it. And to his credit, he didn't do it. And to the discredit of the Steelers, they kept pushing him publicly to do what they wanted him to do. So Martavis Bryant made the mistake of pushing the team publicly to do what he wants them to do, and that's a mistake because they're going to tell him what to do, and it is you don't play on Sunday. And now he's in the doghouse. See, he thought it was bad, so he complained, and now they're going to make it worse. And that's not just a message to Bryant. It's a message to every other guy in that locker room. It's a message to every guy who will be in that locker room in the future. Because now, Bryant is the example where if you create a distraction and you're not Antonio Brown, there will be serious consequences. If you're Antonio Brown, well, we need you. Well, God, I mean, we got to put you on the field. So there's a lot going on here. And Martavis Bryant got bad advice from someone, agent, whoever. He should have kept his mouth shut. And now his situation is even worse than it was. And look, I don't know how addiction works. But is it unreasonable to wonder at what point does he say, screw it? And he goes and he uses whatever substance got him suspended last year. Where you give into that. Where that, that razor's edge of staying on the right side of the line of addiction, where one serious stressor is the thing that causes you in a weak moment to do the thing that got you in trouble. I'd be concerned about that if I were somebody who, I I, I was going to say, if I was somebody who cared about Martavis Bryant, I don't even know him personally, and I'm concerned about that on his behalf. So hopefully that doesn't happen. Hopefully, Hopefully he gets the message. And hopefully he does what he has to do to get out of the doghouse. And hopefully he can turn this around because he's highly talented. And there will be a time that the Steelers need him. And even if they don't, even if he becomes a marginal player for the Steelers through the end of his contract, which was delayed by a year because of his suspension, hopefully he'll do what he's expected to do and won't create issues, and by the time he's eligible for free agency, someone will give him a fair opportunity to go be the be the guy that, that we've seen him be in the past. On Wednesday, Panthers quarterback Cam Newton was kind of the guy that we've seen from time to time in the past, a little petulant, a little immature, a little moody, and I defended him after Super Bowl 50. Stats and I have argued about this all the time, and this is one of those moments where I'm glad I don't have to listen to stats now because he'd give me the the business about Cam Newton sulking at the post-Super Bowl press conference. My point is he's listening to Chris Harris Jr. on the other side of a curtain crowing about how they beat the Panthers. At a certain point, you just, enough. You've just had your biggest professional disappointment, biggest sports disappointment of your life on a gigantic stage. You're human. But some of these other moments, you 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 got to be in better control of your reaction. Newton, who stiff-armed the media all of last week, spoke to the media after 
the loss to the Bears on Sunday. And then on Wednesday, he complied with his obligation to show up and talk. I'm sure behind the scenes, somebody nudged him to do it. I get the impression the Panthers aren't as direct with him as the Steelers would be with a player who isn't doing what's expected of him. So he was asked a question, and it was a fairly, I, I don't know, I, I, I look at it as not all that tough of a question. I guess some could interpret it as throwing a little shade but it was asked in a very respectful way, not a confrontational way, not a hostile way. Joe Person of the Charlotte Observer. He said this, the big plays, the big chunk plays that get you that energy you're talking about is this offense. I know you've you had several at Detroit and New England. Do you guys have the wherewithal to do that consistently week in and week out? That's a fair question. I mean, when you go a full game against the Bears and only score three points, it's a fair question to ask whether or not the offense has the ability to have chunk plays. And Cam took offense to it. He said next question, and then he, he walked out before the next question could be asked. Now, maybe this is, to a certain extent, influenced by what happened three weeks ago where he made the sexist comment, and he's very careful now about what he says because he doesn't want to say the wrong thing accidentally because that's clearly what happened the last time. He said the wrong thing accidentally. But, but it was just weird. It wasn't nearly as troubling as what happened three weeks ago with Jordan Rodriguez of The Observer, but it just struck me as an overreaction. That was an overreaction. And I think we it's fair to say we expect a little bit more than that, right? You don't walk off over that. Do you walk off over that? It seems like not very much to walk off over. Dwayne Brown walking back onto the field for the Houston Texans. His coach, Bill O'Brien, said that the player who just showed up two days ago has a real good shot of playing on Sunday in Seattle. And look, if he can quickly get up to speed, he's not going to make the Texans any worse. The offensive line was abysmal week one when Tom Savage was getting ragdolled all over the place. And then Deshaun Kaiser, Deshaun Watson, I get my Deshauns mixed up, Deshaun Watson came in and... He got banged around a lot, but he has figured out how to operate within the confines of not having a great offensive line. So if the offensive line is better, maybe Watson is better. I still think there's a chance that Dwayne Brown gets traded. It could be he goes to Seattle and never leaves. Seattle could save the plane fare, although I guess Dwayne Brown would have to go back and get his stuff. Seattle's one of the teams I look at as a potential trade partner with the Texans for Dwayne Brown. The Eagles, potentially. We have six days until the window closes. But just because Brown's back, I've been saying this all week, and I'm going to keep keep saying it until he's traded or not traded, I still think it's possible he gets traded. And if he plays this week, then a trade partner can see he's still a guy who gets it done. They can watch the film. He can still get it done. And my goodness, he's playing well despite just showing up. Maybe he'll play well for us right after he shows up. That's always the challenge, especially on the offensive side of the ball getting a guy in season and expecting him to make an impact right away. More often than not, you just don't. You, you, how do you do? You're the stranger. You're walking in to the room, and they've already been together. They've bonded. They're moving forward. They've been through good games. They've been through bad games. They know each other. Here's the newcomer. Johnny come lately, the new kid in town. How does it ever mesh quickly? That's going to be one of the realities. But the Texans are kind of going through that on a on a less extreme 
scale because they have players in that locker room that know Dwayne Brown, have played with Dwayne Brown, but Deshaun Watson doesn't. So we'll see if he plays Sunday, and we'll see if he's traded by next Tuesday. Continue to put me down for a possibility of a trade. Six days to go until we get an answer to that. I mentioned Deshaun Kaiser, and it was only somewhat accidentally because I have him on the list of topics I want to get to. This Wednesday routine, the new tradition in Cleveland, lose on Sunday and name your quarterback for the next Sunday on Wednesday. Kaiser retains the job, although I don't know that retains is the right word because he did get benched. He got benched against the Titans for Cody Kessler. And then after the game, Hugh Jackson said he'll name his starting quarterback on Wednesday. His starting quarterback is Deshaun Kaiser. And I don't know how this yo-yo approach is going to make Deshaun Kaiser better. I thought you went with a guy and you're all in with a guy. Wasn't that the conventional wisdom? Once you go with your young guy, if he's your guy, you stick with him. You let him grow through adversity. You let him make mistakes. You let him learn from the mistakes. You let him develop confidence. You let the game slow down. You take your lumps in his rookie year, and you hope he does enough that ownership doesn't fire everybody before he gets a chance to really have the game slow down in his second year. See, the problem is the Browns just can't really get their act together on what it is they're trying to do. Are they developing for the future, or are they trying to win now? The problem is you have to at least win something now. I firmly believe last year, if they had gone 0-16, there would have been major changes just because you can't bring everybody back after you go 0-16. So they went 1-15. And now it's almost Halloween, and the last time they won was Christmas Eve. 0-7, if they lose to Minnesota on Sunday in London, and who knows, maybe they'll win, right? Is anybody going to pick the Browns to win this game? No. They may not have Miles Garrett. He's got a concussion he's dealing with. They go to 0-8, which makes them 1-23 since their latest reboot. Something's got to give. Something's got to go. Someone's got to go. Chris Sims thinks that Hugh Jackson goes. I think that whoever goes is the person who decided or recommended the decision to pass on Carson Wentz and Deshaun Watson, whether that's Paul DePodesta, Sashi Brown, Andrew Barry, the homeless guy that told them to take Manziel, whoever it is that said, take the trade and don't take Carson Wentz, and then said, take the trade and don't take Deshaun Watson. I think that person needs to go. And if it's two different people, then they both go. It's one thing to constantly miss on the quarterbacks you pick. You start missing on not taking franchise quarterbacks who aren't like Tom Brady, 199th pick, where everybody missed on them. Both guys, someone else saw enough to trade up to get them. Someone else saw something in them, and they were right. Your organization saw nothing in them, had dibs on them, and passed. That's a fundamental flaw. The most important position is quarterback. And if you don't have people who can recognize the potential of a franchise quarterback when you have never had one since your franchise came back to the NFL in 1999, you have to get whoever failed to spot that franchise quarterback out of the operation. It may sound ruthless. It may sound harsh. You know, Sims has this bit where, and it's great, I can talk about him and he can't say anything back to me. Sims has this bit where he feels bad talking about a coach being on the hot seat. Well, do coaches ever hesitate to fire people? Do general managers ever hesitate? Do they feel bad about it? No, they're desensitized to it because they do it all the time. 
So why do we tiptoe on eggshells when we're talking about the possibility of someone getting fired when he knew upon taking the job that there's a chance he's going to get fired? A good chance. More likely to be fired than not fired. And when you get fired, you typically have a buyout. Unless the team tries to stiff you like Washington did with GM Scott McLuhan. But that's a topic for another day. I'm going to get fired if I don't shut up and play the interviews. We're going to start with a guy who has done very well in a short period of time in the National Football League. One of the best pass rushers in the NFL. And I'm not going to say any more because I'm probably going to step all over my introductory question. Here's my interview with Chargers pass rusher Joey Bosa. Welcome back, and as promised, we now have a guy who is making an impact on the NFL and more specifically on its quarterbacks. Seven and a half sacks in seven games this year. Chargers pass rusher Joey Bosa. Joey, how are you, pal? I'm good. How are you guys? Hey, I'm doing good. Is it ever Joseph or Joe, or is it always Joey? I got a brother-in-law, Joey, and it's it's never anything but Joey for him. Is it ever anything but Joey for you? It's mostly Joe, a lot of Bosa. Um, I only get Joseph mostly when my mom's yelling at me. Um, But, yeah, mostly Joey. Well, I I can imagine some quarterbacks have said some choice words at you that aren't Joseph, Joey, (laughs) or Joe this year. And, And I know from talking to pass rushers, you don't think about the sacks you got. You think about the ones you almost got. How many more did you almost get this year beyond the seven and a half that you have gotten? Uh, I mean, there's there's plenty of plays that you can see out there where, where I beat tackles and almost get there. But, uh, I mean, that's, that's football. That's what makes getting sacks so special is how hard they are to come by. So, um, I mean – you could look at Melvin too across the field and say he has he left four or five up there too. And what a special situation you guys have where there's two great players who can get to the quarterback. Who gets double teamed between the two of you guys? I think we take turns. Um, I mean, they they do a lot of max protect with chips, and uh, I mean they they do a good job of game planning against us, definitely. Have you ever gotten to the point where you just get frustrated about how much attention you're getting as you try to get from the line of scrimmage to the quarterback? Uh, no, I, I understand where I'm at now and that it's that's part of the game now. Um, it's more of a compliment than anything, but uh, if if you're going to be a great pass rusher in this league, you got to be able to beat two guys. Things started off not so well for the Chargers, four straight losses. Is there a specific moment that you can point to where you felt things change? Um, no, I, I, it's not a lot of things have changed really. I think we're just finally executing what we know how to do and, uh, things are falling into place. I really haven't felt a change or anything like that. Guys have been working hard. They've been busting their butts this whole year. So it's not like all of a sudden the switch turned on and guys are working hard all of a sudden. Um, I just think our hard work and, and what we've been working towards is finally starting to show. As the losses were piling up, though, on the front end of the season, could you feel the urgency with each passing week to finally reverse that streak? Yeah, definitely. I feel like that week five was kind of kind of that week. We had another zero-win team, and we, we thought, kind of thought of it as an opportunity to uh, finally get our first win, and uh, we did in a close fashion, which I think was really important for us, knowing that we could come out of those close games with the wins. 
You're in a tough division with a lot of good teams. And on Sunday, you didn't simply beat the Broncos. You shut them out. How big of a deal was that to hold the Broncos to no points? Uh, I mean, anytime you play a division team, it's, it's a huge game. But uh, to be able to shut them out in the first time in however many years, uh, I mean, was a great accomplishment. I loved the way our D-line played. Um, I mean, but you look back, they had injuries, and, and we got to understand that we're going to be playing playing more prepared teams, uh, especially like the one this week. And one reality that you guys are dealing with at your stadium that you'll be playing at for three total seasons, the StubHub Center, we've heard a lot about it. I haven't been there, but the stories that we constantly hear are that the fans of the visiting team are outnumbering the fans of the Chargers. From your perspective, you're down there on the field. What's it like playing at the StubHub Center when the Chargers are supposedly the home team? You know, when you win 21-0, to zero, it really doesn't matter who's in the crowd, so... <laughs> I don't really care as long as we're coming out with wins. I think our fans will start coming out. And, uh, I mean, my mom and my friends were there, so that's all I really care about. But but you played college football at one of the great venues, and the home field advantage at Ohio Stadium is real. It's palpable. It's loud. You can feel it. You can hear it. You can smell it. Do you find yourself looking around this 27,000-seat stadium that you're in for the next three years and wondering what, what in the heck has happened to me? Um, like I just said again, no, not really at all. It's the last <laughs> thing on my mind. I'm trying to be a good I, football player and a good team. I don't really care about who's coming out to see. But uh, like I said, if we start winning, I, fans will start coming like anything. All right, I tried. I'll I'll give yeah. up on that line of questioning, Joey. I thought I thought <laughs> yeah. maybe I thought maybe I'd get something out of you on that one. How about this, Trevor Simeon? You've sacked him three and a half times this year. How is it that you're getting to him so uh, effectively and so regularly? Uh, well, they they had a little trouble at right tackle last week with some injuries, so obviously take advantage of that. Um, I don't know. I just feel like I've had a couple of good games against these guys and. Uh, got to continue that on the next week and coming up this week the new england patriots i saw earlier on wednesday coach bill belichick just praised you like over the top like almost embarrassing when you're around your you know like around your grandparents and they just go on and on about how great you are um don't you wish that he would have said bad things about you so you can get properly motivated for the game well i I wouldn't have heard what he said either way unless you told me so I don't. It doesn't really bother me again. The media and the noise is the last thing on my mind. What will you say to Tom Brady when you sack him on Sunday? Um, what will I say to him? I guess that'll have to be in the moment type deal. But uh, I mean, to take down one of the greatest of all time is always a it's a great accomplishment and almost an honor. As you've gotten more comfortable playing in the NFL, do you find yourself being more talkative with either the guy that's trying to block you or the quarterback after you hit him? Oh, I've I've never really talked too much out on the field. In high school, I was a lot more talkative and kind of a dirty player my younger years in high school, and that just started to change. I just I don't know. I, I like I show I throw a little sarcastic remarks or shots out there every once in a while, but I'm not talking too much. 
Well, even dirty players don't admit that they're dirty players. So for you to admit you were dirty in high school, I mean, what, what were you doing out there? Um, I mean, anything you could imagine, just trying to <laughs> – it was more focused on destroying the man in front of me before getting to the ball. I kind of I – mean, it's, it's funny to watch film from then. Were there foreign objects involved, or was it uh, shots oh, to the groin? No. What, what are we talking about? No, it wasn't dirty like that. It was just plowing guys into the ground. Not, not cheap shots. Okay, I just wanted to be clear on that because you, no. you dirt, there's different types of dirty. So you weren't like no. dirty cheating. You were just dirty, no. like you 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 were I'm you like, were so I'm much like better. If the runs going. I'm like if the runs going away from me, I'm probably pancaking the offensive lineman on the other side of the field for 20 seconds instead of running to the ball. That's a little dirty. I'll give you that. That's probably... <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's Joey Bosa here. Uh, well, and one of the things Belichick praised is the fact that you now don't do that. You now constantly pursue, and when they run away from you, they still have to worry that Joey Bosa is going to come up from behind the play and make the play. So, yeah, you don't do that now. You may have done that then, but now you're <laughs> yeah. constantly chasing the ball. Yes, sir. So how good do you think this Chargers team can be at 3-4? and four? Um, I mean, as good as we want to be, I think we're on the right track. We've got – some good quality ones under our belt and I mean I think we've got the confidence now and I know we've got the talent um you could just see that looking looking at a roster but I think we're in a really good place right now and if we could pull this one out going to the bye week and four and four I think we've got a really good shot at making a push this year what's impressed you the most about your new head coach Anthony Lynn um Really, just not freaking out, staying calm, believing in what we're doing, and like I said, we didn't, we haven't really changed anything. We just trust him that he, him and his staff will get us prepared, and we know what we're doing, and we know that we're going to work hard and prepare the right way. So, um, just him being calm and collective, and not not letting us freak out when we were 0 and 4. I think he did a great job with. Well, it's worked well. Three wins in a row, and off you go to New England. I'll let you get back to your preparations. Joey, thanks as always for some of your time, and good luck moving forward. Yep, thank you. Have a good one. Thanks again to Joey Bosa for some of his time. The Chargers, three straight wins on their way to New England, and Tony Dungy's already flagged this one as a possibly very, very good game and also a chance for the Chargers to go into New England and beat the Patriots. Wouldn't that be something if they go from 0-4 to 3-4 and and cap it with a victory? over the Patriots in their own building. Another team in the AFC that currently is 4-3 and three and is undefeated in the odd weeks because they're dominant in the odd weeks and not so dominant in the even weeks. This is a bye week for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I had a chance to talk also with their new cornerback, A.J. Boye. Here's my discussion with Jaguars corner, A.J. Boye. Welcome back, and we're now joined by a guy who has made the free agency move from the Houston Texans to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And the Jaguars, I guess depending upon which week we look at, are dominant. The other week, not as dominant. This week, the bye week. A.J. Boye joins us. A.J., how are you, pal? I'm good. How are you? Good. Can you help me figure this out? Because this has been driving me crazy all year. Odd-numbered weeks, you guys are like the 85 Bears. Even-numbered weeks, 
it, it doesn't work. What's, what's going on where you go from dominant performance and a win to a loss like clockwork every other week? Um, I think it's really just realizing when our opportunities are going to present themselves. Um, we have a very aggressive defense, and I can say that we have a lot of playmakers on the field who are trying to make plays. And most of the time, it's really going to help us, but really just being more situational aware. Um, that's been helping us, especially on the back end. And even then, our offense has been getting moving on. And then our special teams has been, uh, you know, helping us with the field position. So I believe that all three phases really have just been tying in together. But within a given game, is there a different feel when it's clicking and it's working? Because, again, when you guys win, it's not even close. It's like you're playing a college team. And, and do you sense early on that it's going to be that kind of a day, or does it just unfold that way? Yeah, definitely. Uh, sometimes it unfolds that way. Um, usually if we get rolling early in the first half, especially on the defense, we just ask to be up by, you know, two scoring possessions. Um, and we feel that we could take care of everything else. And our offense does a good job moving the ball. And like I said, our special teams has been helping us out with field position. But even then, there's been some close games like Pittsburgh, where it was basically tied up at half. And then we came out and just we got rolling from there. So I believe with the way we practice and everything, it helps us, you know, with condition and be ready to go to full four quarters and even more. There's been a lot said, A.J., about the practices, training camp and in-season. Doug Marone, the first-year head coach of the Jaguars, you weren't there in past years to compare what it was like in Jacksonville. But what have you heard from your teammates about how different it is now with Marone in comparison to what it was before Marone was the head coach? Um, they're saying it's the toughest they've ever done. Uh, we joke about it, but I believe it's really true. Uh, Marone told me that it was going to be similar to uh, O'Brien's first year in Houston. And even then, I believe that this camp was definitely tougher than that. Um, a lot of conditioning, a lot of uh, physical, you know, drills, especially with the pads on. You felt like he was in college, but um, kind of banged us up, but it got us ready for the season. Did the guys buy into it right away or did it take some time? <laughs> I don't think a lot of people bought into it at first, but uh, when we started to see the results, especially when we was practicing against other teams and we seen that they were a little less out of shape, um, it kind of you know got our confidence going and we knew that we was going to fly to the ball and try to make plays on offense and defense and even special teams. So it sounds like this is probably a good week to have a bye week with all the banging that you guys have been doing both in games and in practice. Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, you know, get some time to relax, um, just get our minds right. Uh, still going to look at a little bit of film just to see our next opponent, which is going to be Cincinnati. And then I know that uh, a lot of us are going to be watching the games on Sunday, but the physical standpoint is just to fall back a little bit and just make sure everybody's healthy. What's your main objective? What do you want to do during the bye week to get yourself prepared for the rest of the season? Uh, just to make sure that my body is where it needs to be uh, going into next week when we start uh, preparing for Cincy. Um, also just looking at, you know, some of the mistakes I made earlier, uh, this season, just looking at some of the old tape, uh, seeing what I can improve on and then just go from there. Give me one area where you want to improve the most going forward. Um, just finishing stronger, uh, at the point of attack with, uh, certain contested balls. Um, just knowing certain routes in our scheme, uh, that's going to attack me and just playing them a little bit tighter. And I know that the bye weeks are spread all throughout the regular season now, but, but how do you feel physically this far into the season in comparison to past years in light of how physical training camp and practices have been? 
Um, I feel pretty good. Uh, I do a good job of just making sure my body's right, uh, you know, weekly preparation with that. Um, and then also just lifting and everything, just making sure I'm good with flexibility. So I feel pretty good. Um, nicked up here and there, but, you know, I'm always ready to go. How much has Tom Coughlin been around the team? Because people assume he's standing next to Doug Marone with his own whistle. But as a practical matter, how often do you see him and what involvement does he have? Um, he's behind the scenes, so we really don't know exactly what all involvement we have, but we know that he plays a big part in what we're doing. Uh, he's in the team meeting room. Sometimes you'll see him in the hallway just talking to us, seeing how we're doing, how everything on the field is going. So he's always involved. You'll see him um, on the sideline and practice and everything, talking to some of the players. Um, but usually Marone is out there running the show. There was a sense during the preseason of, I don't know that chaos is the right word, but with the benching for a short period of time of Blake Bortles for Chad Henney, and people looked at the team and thought, is this just going to be the same, whole, same old Jaguars? How did the team work through that, that period where things from the outside felt like they were a little bit out of sorts for the franchise? Um, we were really just focusing on what we can control, and that was just our preparation and how we was going to practice every day in camp and just fighting through, even on the tough days, just grinding um, and working on our technique. But I was actually talking to one of my teammates about this uh, the other day. I just feel like the competition that was brought, especially in camp, helped us you know, become better as a team, but individually from player to player. And I believe that the competition actually helped uh, Blake get even better. I know that uh, uh, this is the crucial catch month for the NFL, and uh, I know it, it means a lot to you personally. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing with the American Cancer Society during the NFL's uh, crucial catch month of October. Yeah, I'm just donating $100 for every pick that uh, our defense get, um, and that included the uh, week we played Pittsburgh. Um, I was hoping for you know more this past week and even against uh, L.A., so we have to do something about that. Um, but I'm just hoping that everybody will really match that. This means a lot to me. Uh, I lost my mother at an early age to cancer, and that affected my family. And I'm just trying to do whatever I can to help with, the, with that whole situation. And I just realized this, AJ, my goodness, you were only 15 months old when you lost your mother. Yes, very young, so... Well, it's a horrible disease. I lost my mother to cancer, but I was a lot older than 15 months, and I can, uh, I can only imagine what families go through. I know what families go through, and it's a horrible disease, and I appreciate everything that you and the NFL are doing on behalf of that. And, and before I let you go, uh, not, not, uh, not the easiest segue back to football, but I do, have, I do have one lingering point about the Jaguars. When are the helmets going to change? When are you going to pick a Keller and just go with one? Um, I actually like those helmets. Uh, I wouldn't mind having all black. No, you, you don't. Know, no, you <laughs> don't. You don't I, like those helmets. <laughs> no, I really do. I, I, I like the colors, but I, I usually go with like the all black, matte black. I think that would be a nice little concept. See what we can do with that. Um, I don't have a problem with them, though. I think that's the problem <laughs> with the team this year. You are your helmet. <laughs> one week it's good and one week it's bad. One week it's black, and one week it's whatever that is, beige, tan. What is that? One all black thing. That's what I, I, I've been, hey, just, get, just take spray paint. 
take a can of spray paint, old school style. When I played grade school football, we're getting ready to play the game. We're inhaling all of the paint fumes because they're painting our helmets. Just take a can of black spray paint and do the back half black. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna go to this, I'm gonna go to Home Depot, grab some spray paint. I got you. You got the bye week. You. you got the bye <laughs> week. Go back to the facility and just do it. I'm gonna take the fine. All right. See you. Hey. AJ, appreciate some of your time, pal. Congratulations on everything you've accomplished. It's a great story from undrafted free agent to a guy who's made an impact both in Houston and now in Jacksonville. And, and let's hope the bye week counts as a bad week. So next week, you get right back at it. You get two games over 500 and off you go. Thank you. Thank you. Consistency is going to be big for us. All right. Well, good luck down the stretch, pal. We hope to talk to you again. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks again. Bosa and Boye, another two-for-one shot on the PFTPM podcast. I typically would like to do only one interview, but if I have the opportunity to talk to these guys, I'm going to take it. And thanks to the teams and thanks to the players for making guys available. You know, most teams understand who we are and what we do at PFT. Most teams get it. Most teams realize that we are going to criticize when criticism is warranted. I don't think we take cheap shots Often, I don't know. I mean, the Brill Cream Ben, I don't know. Is that a cheap shot? I don't know. I, he chooses to put that stuff in his hair every day. I'm sorry. I still can't. I mean, it's not like he's got a big giant nose and I'm making fun of his big giant nose. He, he chooses to dip a comb in motor oil every morning and run it through his hair. I think it's fair for me to point that out. But most of the teams will make guys available to us, and we appreciate that. And I, I, I'd like to think that over time, I've, I've improved a little bit when it comes to asking these questions. I remember the first time they gave me the web show PFT Live, and I'm going to do these interviews. It's like, well, what the hell do I ask these guys? Well, I have no training. I have no skill. I have no experience. So I just eventually decided I'm going to act like I'm sitting next to him at a bar, and I'm going to ask him questions. I'm going to ask him things I'm curious about. I think those are the best questions. And I think the best interviewers, and I learned this from watching Dan Patrick and listening to him over the years, you just have to apply a natural curiosity and a creativity. You have to have the inspiration in your brain that comes from curiosity, but then you have to come up with a way to ask the question. And I'm not trying to lead anybody into saying anything that, that's going to hurt them. I treat every guest on my shows like a guest in my home. And other than stats, I've treated all guests in my home incredibly well. All right, before we wrap up, I have one comment about the NFL's current ratings conundrum because James Murdoch, the Fox CEO, had some comments on, I believe it was Wednesday, possibly Tuesday, speaking at a conference in New York. James Murdoch chimed in with his views on the NFL's current ratings difficulty. He said this, according to adweek.com. There's a question mark for the NFL, which is just to think hard about how they're licensing. So I do think the proliferation of Thursday availability and the proliferation of football generally does mean that you're asking a lot from customers to watch Thursday. And then they watch a lot more college football games on Saturdays and then on Sundays and then on Monday Night Football, etc. It's a lot. So I do think that preserving the scarcity value of those events and that audience is something that is worth thinking about. And, and look... He's right. It's worth thinking about it. It's worth wondering what it is that is causing the ratings to drop. Is it 
that there is no longer scarcity of football. I remember growing up in the 70s, there was hardly any college football that was live. Maybe one game a week. And I know if if the West Virginia game was on TV, that was a huge deal. Now every West Virginia game's on. I used to watch the games tape delayed 11 o'clock at night on the local PBS station. That's how in the 80s, 70s, you didn't even have that. 80s and into the 90s, that's how you consumed West Virginia University football. 11 o'clock at night, tape delayed on the local PBS station. Now, football is everywhere, college and pro. Pro football was 1 o'clock, 4 o'clock Eastern on Sunday. Sorry, West Coast, 10 and 1. I had one football season when I was working out in California as a co-op before I finished up my undergraduate degree. And it was so weird to get up at 10 a.m. and watch football and be done at 4. It was just weird. Anyway, it used to be 1 and 4 or 10 and 1 if you're on the West Coast. And, and Monday Night Football. And that was it. That was it. That's what football was during the decades that it grew to become what it now is. And then came Sunday Night Football. Remember, they had the split package initially on TBS and ESPN, I think it was. And then came... Sunday Night Football on ESPN. I think well, that, that's what it was. It was Sunday Night Football on ESPN. I think I've just repeated myself. It was Sunday Night Football on cable. They started to do a little more Thursday nights, but not very often. It used to be just one time a year, Thursday Night Football. Instead of Monday Night Football, they'd play Thursday night because they didn't want to go on a Monday night against the World Series. Think about that. Think about how big baseball used to be that the NFL would shy away from it on Monday Night Football. And then we had Sunday Ticket where you can watch all the games. And that was that was like, oh, my God. Whoever dreamed that you could watch all the games at the same time. And then came the Red Zone. And you've got Sunday Night Football. And you've got the instant availability to see highlights. And it's just, it's everywhere. Football is everywhere. And now college football. That's what we can't overlook in all of this. College football is all day long. You may be exhausted by the time Sunday rolls around from watching college football from noon Eastern until 2 a.m. 14 hours later. And the sheer tonnage of college football games results in more exciting games. It feels like exciting games on paper in college deliver more often than exciting games on paper at the NFL level deliver. Deliver. Let me try that again. Deliver. It's always important to deliver the English language in a discernible way. So I I just think that the NFL needs to figure it out. Whatever it is, figure it out. Because two years ago, it was working. Something's happened in the last two years. Is it oversaturation? Is it blowback from players not standing for the anthem, even though it's two dozen right now at most out of 1,700 who are doing it. Is it something else? Are people turned off to the violence? Is this the product of a decade now, nearly a decade, of fretting about head injuries? Legitimate fretting about head injuries, but has it caused people to turn away even though the people who play in the NFL are adults who freely consent to and understand the risks of playing football? What is it? The NFL has the resources to figure it out. The NFL has the incentive to figure it out. And they should stop trying to make it look better than it is. They should stop trying to, for example, accuse the messenger instead of addressing the message when James Murdoch mentions Thursday Night Football 
it's easy to point out, well, his network doesn't have Thursday night football, so that's why he's mentioning it. Or, but, you know, maybe he's in a position where he's not beholden to Thursday night football and he can speak the truth. Maybe not everything is motivated by some not so obvious desire to act out an agenda. Maybe he just wanted to tell the truth. I keep thinking what Mark Cuban said a few years ago, and plenty of people scoffed. Pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered. And he predicted that that was coming for the NFL. And I've yet to see the NFL alter. And when I say the NFL, I don't mean all 32 teams. I don't mean the game. I don't mean the product. When I say the NFL in this context, I mean the league office. I have yet to see anything other than stridents from the league office. I've yet to see anything other than confidence that borders on delusion, that everything is fine and everything is okay and nothing has changed and this is this and that is that and we're going to talk our way out of anything that we're into. And I can understand at a certain level the people at the league office who want to remain employed, they need to convince their primary audience, which isn't me. It's not the fans. It's not you. Their primary audience is the owners. The owners need to think everything's fine. And the owners need to think there's a reasonable explanation for every bit of bad news that may come out about ratings. As long as the owners think everything's fine, then everything's fine for the people at the league office. But I think at some point, someone needs to stand up and say, hey, hey, we're paying you people a lot of money to be the stewards of this sport. And from my perspective, well, why do you care, Florio? I, I want the NFL to be as successful as possible. Number one, because I personally want it to be as successful as possible because I've been a huge fan of it for 40-plus years now. And secondly, I kind of have a, a financial, just a slight little financial interest in the NFL thriving. So somebody needs to say, look, let's quit trying to spin these numbers. Let's quit trying to shoot the messenger. Let's quit trying to attack those who would raise fair questions. And let's fix the damn problem. First, you got to identify it. Then you have to determine whether it is fixable. Then you have to come up with a plan for fixing it. And then you fix it. How hard is that? And you know what? If after going through all of that, the end result is, well, it just is what it is. It's our new normal. Well, then fine. Then the challenge is on you to, to tap into that same magic that made football what it is. Come up with a way to get football to resonate with today's audience the way it did. I don't think we've had a fundamental change in who we are as a people. We consume television content differently than we used to, but we're still the same people. We haven't dramatically changed who we are. And from the moment that the Colts beat the Giants in the 1956 NFL championship game, the greatest game ever played at the time, and it sparked unprecedented interest in football, which translates well to television, and it was growth, 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 growth. You can't have growth for 50 years, and then all of a sudden it just flattens and there's no explanation for it. There's got to be an explanation for it. They have the resources and the incentive to find it. Go find it and fix it and get back to us when you have some ideas. We'll be waiting. If you're waiting for another PFTPM podcast, I can tell you the next one is coming Friday. At some point, we're going to go five days a week. If you want it five days a week, and again, I always mention this at this stage of the podcast. If you are listening to this now, it means you like it. If you've made it this far, 
through all the crap I said at the beginning for 15 minutes, through the Joey Bosa interview, which I thought was pretty good for the most part, the Boye interview, which I thought was good for the most part, I always think I can do better, to this part now, which is kind of crap, but you're still listening. So even if you're listening now to this part that's kind of crap, that means you like it. So subscribe to the podcast, rate the podcast, review the podcast, support the podcast, because... Once the podcast is thriving at a level where I'd like it to, then I'll say, okay, on Thursday, I'll, I'll find time. I'll make time to do it then. Right now, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. And there's even a chance this weekend of a special Saturday edition because that's when I can get the interview I've been trying to get. So the, the, it's a very simple proposition. The bigger this thing becomes, the more I'm going to put into it. It's just like the, the mentality that, that, came with ProFootballTalk.com. For those of you who have been around since the beginning, and if you've been there, thank you. And please stay with us. But early on, when it was growing, and it wasn't generating much revenue, it was hard for me to put much time into it. So I didn't. As it grew, as it began to generate revenue, I put more time into it. I put more effort into it. So if you like this and you want to see it grow and you want more of it and you enjoy these interviews and you enjoy the time that we take to put this all together, and I know it comes off as mostly off the cuff, and frankly it is, but I do put a little time into it, a little, a little bit of time into it, and every minute I put into it is less time I could be posting at profootballtalk.com. So with all that said, thank you for your support, thank you for listening, and thank you for doing everything you can to, to pump, pump us up. Rate it, review it, tell your friends, subscribe, listen. And uh, check us out at ProFootballTalk.com. We'll be there around the clock indefinitely. 16-year anniversary is coming up next week. I don't know what the 16-year anniversary is. I don't know. 16 years, though, which means I'm old. You know, as the years go by, it's like, wow, what you've done is impressive. Yes, and I'm very old. Thank you for pointing it out. All right, thanks for some of your time, and we will do this again on Friday. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.